Well, hey there. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. This is Sandra Crawford-Williamson. I'm here with my co-host, John Ramstead, and we have someone just is going to blow all our socks off here today, John, don't we? Yes, we sure do. Rachel Marie Martin. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. And Rachel, you have quite the the claim to fame here. I have to just tell people. Um, you are a single mom to seven kids. I am indeed. Yes. And you're a full-time blogger, speaker, marketer, podcaster, and you travel the world. And you have sort of hit on this nerve that, I mean, even me, I'm a working mom of three, you've hit on this this nerve that is just beautiful. And your blog is called Finding Joy. It's at findingjoy.net. And you just have all this amazing content. Um, you know, the most recent piece I read was to my kids, what I need you to know about friends. And I mean, I read it like seven times and I took all the little notes and I put them on a, a one pager for my kids and I printed it out. I mean, it's just beautiful. But, you know, you didn't you didn't start out as a single mom of seven. You had this amazing career with Pier One and um, beach retreat and you did all these cool things. And then you just sort of started writing and speaking and found the power of words on your current situation. How would you describe, you know, why you made that transition? Well, thank you. That's uh, very nice. All that you said, the transition was one of those, I'll tell people that I'm always been a storyteller. So we have to start with that. Cause I think that God puts in us who we are and what we're we've meant to be. And I've always been a, a storyteller, and my dad would say I would look at something almost mundane and find something in, in it interesting. So I was in the middle of, um, and I've always been online. I, I grew up, my parents were kind of techie. I grew up with a TI-84 computer and <laughs> was on Yahoo groups and remember the first time I got an email. So I've always been interested in the online space and never veered away from it. And in the about the middle of 2000s, about 2005, I, I started writing online and I loved it. And originally it was just a place for me to, to journal in the way that original uh, the blogs originally kind of were set up. And as the years passed, I realized that I was being called to write about the real spaces in motherhood and in life, the spaces that sometimes we overlook, especially in a social media world. Like my dad said, those little nuances in the corner where there is good and there is hope, but it also is recognizing the actual emotion that we feel that's not articulated in the online world. That's great. And, you know, you have this approach. I mean, there's a great blog to the tired mom. And I know it's been out there for a few years, but it was on Huffington Post. And it's been shared, you know, I think like millions of times. And, you know, there's all these women listeners out there that are moms or they want to be moms or they uh, have a mom. And, and you've got these guys out there who are, you know, John and I talk about this a lot, you know, sort of looking at the, the women in their life, thinking that we have some superpower. Um, you know, when I travel, my husband, you know, gets the list and he's like, 
this is one day of stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's funny because you just you just speak and you pour into that situation. And, and it's great for men, too, because, you know, you talk a lot about that motherhood is lonely and motherhood is tiring. And, you know, we I, I kind of describe it when I speak. I feel like I'm in a loop. You know, it's like Groundhog Day. I get up, I do the clothes, I do the breakfast, I do the lunches, I do, and I then I do this, and then, and then the next morning, it's the same thing. It's the Groundhog Day loop, right? But what you talk about is even though it might feel like no one else notices what we're doing, or, you know, we might have only slept three hours, um, but, you know, motherhood is really giving ourself away, right? It's like you're giving pieces of yourself away and that's the beauty of it. You know, how, how would you describe it? You know, when you became a mother for the first time, like what was your biggest aha? Well, that I didn't know what I was doing. It did not, it did not matter what I read. I actually have a picture of my oldest daughter, Hannah, on the day we came home from the hospital, I took her out of the car seat put a blanket on the ground and put her on the blanket and took a picture and she's crying. Cause I thought I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. And it <laughs> yeah. was just so raw and real because it was the start. But here's the funny thing about motherhood. You know how you mentioned the groundhog day loop, as we all know that there's this loop in motherhood, the same thing and in life for anybody over and over, but it doesn't loop in a stagnant timeline. It moves forward and it's, even though we're like stuck in the loop, they're still growing. And so we have this kind of tension with wanting to savor the moment and then wanting to plan for the future. And it's this kind of dichotomy of letting go, embracing the moment, and really being honest about the moments where it is hard. Because there are moments that are hard in a way that I I had no clue. Like, I did not realize that simple things could push me to the brink. And it's not that you know, whatever, them leaving their socks on the floor, all of this, them crying mom or all of that is too much. It's just kind of percolating like a pressure cooker at moments. And the part where we feel alone is sometimes I think we think that's, I'm the only one. If I just had it together, that wouldn't happen. And the truth is we all kind of think it, we're all tired. And when we can admit where we struggle, we also can link arms with each other and build each other up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in 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 today's world of social media with all these beautiful pictures out there, right? And, you know, they've got all the little posed pictures and the bows in their hair and they're not messy and they're smiling. Um, I feel like it's even made it tougher for moms because at the end of the day, that's like 3% of our life, right? The other 97 is we're wearing you know, all these hats and we're juggling, I, I kind of call it spinning plates, right? And some of them are going to crash and you just have to let the, you know, the plastic plates and the paper plates crash and you got to know which ones to keep going. But, you know, what I love in, in, in your approach is you challenge people to, to just not be fearful and to break cycles um, and that, yeah, this is tough, you know, it's hard and it's a hard phase. But, you know, you've you've kind of figured out that there's hope in motherhood and that, you know, how you approach each day is is the is the key. I mean, Book Authority has said one of the best motherhood books of all time. I mean, I love that. 
And, you know, you have an amazing story that, you know, you grew up in poverty and and now you you have been named one of Inc. Magazine's top 40 entrepreneurs. I mean, how how amazing is that? And now you have these seven kids that you are pouring into. Um, hey, you know, Rachel, could you share about that journey? I'd love to hear about that journey through poverty and all your ups and downs and where that's landed you today. Well, what's interesting about it is I actually, I didn't grow up in poverty. Uh, that was kind of the years of when I was married. Uh, what's What I write about a lot is my parents were church planters. So I grew up in this fantastic home, but it was very busy. And uh, we, I just remember going door to door, knocking on doors, handing out flyers and watching a church grow. And But in that process too, I, I share about this. I also learned this strategy of kind of hiding uh, and masks. And it was just through a series of events in my own life where it felt safer to not really reveal the the true self. And, um, but my, my growing up years, I went to a, a really tiny Christian high school. I graduated with six people, 16 people, which when you take calculus was fabulous. Cause I always had my, my hand up for questions and <laughs> got all the answers I needed. And, uh, but I, I, I was insecure in the way that I was afraid I wouldn't be loved or I, I wasn't sure how to really step into who I was called to be because I, I believe I was created to be, as I said, a storyteller, but also this very emotional, free spirit being. And it doesn't sometimes jive with the boxes we're put in. But when I, and during my married years, um, it was a great, I, I call it the grand illusion. There's a chapter in my book about pay no attention to the mom behind the, the curtain mo- yeah, modeled after the Wizard of Oz scene. And from the outside, everybody thought that I had all my ducks in a row. From the outside, you would see like my suburban home with the, the flowers and the planter and the suburban out front. And But on the inside, nobody really knew the depth of struggle that was going on or the poverty part uh, where I would spend, uh, I would, I have a moment where I remember counting out change in the car, uh, to buy corn, but nobody knew because I was so good at creating an illusion for everybody else. But the problem is if the foundation is broken and can't be sustained forever. And I told really raw and real stories about having uh, a truck going through a truck being repossessed and seeing my kids in the window or, gas man at the door when they come to turn off the power and I'm holding a baby on my hip and everything. So at one point with my writing, I started to realize that this could be a way to get out of that poverty aspect of it, uh, trying to add to our income and all of that. Um, So that's where that whole process started to kind of explode when I started to write about that and I started to sell an ebook and I realized that um, that it was my responsibility to take care of my children in that way to provide for them Um, and there's a verse in Matthew about providing for your family Mm -hmm. and I really felt that that was applicable to me for so long I kind of didn't look in that direction and at a certain point with the with passivity, somebody has to take action. And I just dove headfirst into believing that that was where I was being called was to provide for my children in that way. So that's kind of the cycle and the journey of it. And 
I, I started blogging and attending blogging conferences. And then in the last five years, I built a company with my friend Dan, and we were actually training bloggers and entrepreneurs how to be successful online. So it's an interesting journey when that day when I opened the computer and typed finding joy. And I dreamed and I hoped that I would get to this point. But I also tell people all the time, it wasn't just dreaming and hoping. It was that 10,000 hour rule of the time and the effort and the sacrifice in showing up over and over and over and typing and working at it. Uh, So I'm just very, very grateful to be at this place where I am now. And I want people to know, moms to know, everybody to know that everything that you put off till tomorrow becomes another day longer that you have to wait to get where you want to go. You know, Mm. and and, and Rachel, you talked, I I love the whole concept of finding joy because joy is something that's internal. It's not, um, it doesn't depend on external circumstances. That's kind of how I personally think about happiness maybe. Uh, And you talk about a trip to Haiti that you had where you really learned about real joy. Could you share about that? Well, I've been blessed to go to Haiti twice. And the first time that I went, I had a friend challenge me before I went to write what I thought I would learn, just mm-hmm. kind of so that I had that thought process. Because once you're there, you you don't know. And uh, you, you never have that perspective back. But when I was in Haiti, uh, so Haiti is pr- uh, one of the most, the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. And it's 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 hard to be there, especially if you've been to a, a tropical country or something, you kind of just expect that every over every hill, you'll see a break in the poverty, but there's absolutely no break in poverty in Haiti. And there's also an unbelievable culture of friendship and joy that is there. I remember being in a church in the mountainside and they had decorated the church with, they cut out all these intricate paper designs and had it hanging and made these signs and prepared this huge meal. And there was a moment uh, where everybody started singing. And it was a song that I knew in English, and they sung in Haitian and Creole. And we all sang at the top of our lungs. And they, the Haitian people, there's no reserve in the way that they would worship. And it was so full, all out love and joy. And I would look around out the window and I would think, wow, they just, in my idea, they're just struggling every day. And yet in that moment, it was so pure that you couldn't help but in that moment that that having tears fall and realizing what real joy is, exactly what you say, which is what I tell people all the time. Happiness is based on the outside and the experience and joy is a posture of the heart. So I agree with you there. Yeah, and what did you do? You know, you took so that experience, right? You're all you, you come back here to the U.S. You're, um, man, I'd love for you to just share kind of where you were, your mindset, right? You're you're a mom of seven. You're trying to make ends meet. And you make make a decision that you're going to be an entrepreneur. But I'd love for you to take people back to maybe that time when you were just maybe really struggling yourself. And what are some of those things that you did? to kind of take those next step forward for your for you and your family? So Haiti was one of those experiences that broke down boxes. Uh, my blog had grown so much that opportunities started to get pre- presented to me, even though fiscally I could have never afforded to go. I was able to go on behalf of a 
mission group and be the behind the scenes person and really watch how it happened, how mission groups worked and functioned. And and then I wrote about it. And when I was there prior to that, I mean, I, I just didn't have very many opportunities prior to that. I had never left the country. And so besides, well, besides Canada, I had never gone um, anywhere and I was going to Haiti and people thought I was nuts. And I went alone, which also was a real act for me of bravery. Uh, never, I had never filled out a customs form, just nothing. And I had a moment of panic at the Miami airport when I saw all the teams going and then I was alone. But what it ended up teaching me was that even in the places where I'm the most alone, I'm not alone because, you know, the Lord is with me, but I'm equipped with this level of bravery to do the things that scared me and terrified me. So the entire time there, I decided that the places where I would normally say, no, I don't think so. Instead of listening to the, to fear, I would listen to the part of me that's like, well, that would be cool. I, I want to do that. Yes. And as a result, all these boxes of fear started to get broken down. And because of it, I was able to see the result, uh, it was revealed to me in a very powerful way that when you say no to fear and you go in the spaces that you are called or where your heart is leading to you, that there can be some very glorious things. But if you say no, you miss them. And my example is, uh, when I got there, I don't know what got impressed on my heart is I decided I wanted to ride a motorcycle because everybody was riding these motorcycles. And <laughs> it, Haiti is not the place to venture around on riding motorcycles because there's no rules, nothing. Yeah, that sounds but like a pretty crazy idea. It really was. <laughs> and then I articulate it to the leader, my friend, to Jim. I say, you know what? I think I'm going to ride a motorcycle while I'm here. And he looked at me like I was nuts. And I said, I don't know why. And then I just kind of thought that he probably forgot about it. But I think there's great power when you speak truth or you speak your heart. It There's kind of a momentum. People hear it. And the last day, second to last day, he we we're at the campsite and he said, look over there. And there was a motorcycle. And he goes, that's your ride. Well, let me tell you, I started like thinking of all the excuses. No, 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 I don't want to do it. All these things. But I, for some reason, my legs walked over to the motorcycle, despite my mind, and I find myself on the back of this motorcycle with this great Haitian man named Baby, and we start taking off, and the first realization came in that there were 40 people watching me take off on this motorcycle that weren't going to get this opportunity, and there was an opportunity there that I had, I, if I had said no, I never would have had again. So as we start driving along, people start coming out of their homes and talking and like the pointing. And I asked baby what they were saying. And he said, they're afraid the American's going to fall off. So (laughs) all this, so I clung on tighter. And at the end, this is where saying no to fear is a beautiful thing. He said, do you want to see the ocean? And I said, yes, yes. And he turns the motorcycle through a mango grove onto a black sand beach and as we hit the black sand beach the sun was setting and it was unbelievably spectacular the way the colors were and then Haiti the mountains come out from the sea and the fishermen were coming in and it was almost pure joy in that moment and it was I knew that This was a moment for the rest of my life that I would tell, one of those top five moments when people asked. And 
it was a result of bravery of doing something I never thought I was capable of because prior to that, I had never even been on a motorcycle. So it was just this beautiful lesson of you really can do the things that are hard for you. You can do the spaces you have to speak up. You Sometimes you have to cling on. Sometimes people will come out and ask what in the world you're doing. But if you can keep holding on, um, the end results can be beautiful. Oh, that's a great story. That is a great story. And, you know, I, I think that there's so many people out there, man, woman, mother, father, have a mother, father, right, that we, we start believing all the things that we can't do, right? We start believing that and we have all these fears and, oh, well, that's not me. I can't do that. Um, and you have this great quote from the book and it says, when you have heart issues that need addressing, you can't just rearrange stuff around you. You have to get to the root of not only why, but how the problem happened and then work to fix it. And you, you know, you sort of talk about there are these things in our lives that, you know, that happen and we, we try to cover it up. We try to wear a mask to hide it. We try to be something we're not, but that it never really goes away, that it, that it, you know, kind of festers and is a heart issue. Um, can you, can you elaborate on that? Because I think there are listeners out there that are just really resonating with this message. And, you know, when they hear you speak on this, they're going to tear up like I did when I read that. Well, thank you. That, that means a lot. I, uh, though, I think we, we spend a lot of time looking at the external of our lives and we, like I, we were talking about, we live in this social media, perfect looking world where there's the highlight reel and we rearrange stuff. And I found for my own self and with women that I've talked to worldwide that it's easy to just kind of change things out a little bit thinking that, well, maybe if I ignore it or push it back or don't really address it, it will just resolve. But the more you push something back and not actually deal with it, not actually deal for myself, uh, some agreements that I had made about worth and some heart issues about self and identity, if we just kind of mask it, all it does is fester and grow underneath it. And that kind of discontent or the the fear that it takes, it, it never gets resolved. And that's why I, I sometimes I think back to even the, uh, the parable about the shifting sand and the foundation. If our heart issues, if there's something that needs to be worked on and we're not dealing with it, it, it there's no place to go back to. And it just kind of shifts out. And then people will come back and say, well, why is nothing changing? Why? I don't understand. I keep trying. I keep trying. But it really comes back to looking internally, taking times and figuring out what is it or that, that I'm feeling and not denying the emotion because the emotion is a clue to our heart. And then why am I feeling that? And then if it's a situation in your life, how did this situation happen? And that's a scary, scary place to get into because a lot of times it's easy to kind of victim and when you actually ask how, you're taking personal responsibility and you're starting to look at what was my role and how did this happen? And when you look at that part, then you can realize, then it becomes apparent, these are the steps that I need to do to fix this. Yeah, Rachel, those are, you know, for a lot of people, right? Self-worth, um, 
identity, right? I think a lot of us are there, we're held back by these chains of a false identity. There's been things that have happened to us in our life, our personal experience, things that have been said to us that, um, in in many cases, they're not true; they're lies. But we've accepted them as truth about us. And you're talking about, you know, doing kind of the hard work to make that shift. And I I think the way I think about it is you're really kind of making a shift from that almost that self-identity to that identity that we have in Christ, right? That's the transforming of our mind. But that is not a, for a lot of us, not a easy or a simple process. What, what did you do or what advice, when you meet a mom and, you know, she's really struggling with some of these issues, where do they start? Well, where do I start in talking with them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, first of all, it's empathy, most of the time, I think we come with a solution right away. Or when you're not in a situation, it's sometimes easy to see, oh, if you would just fix this. But when you're stuck in the situation, when, and I know from my own experience, sometimes I just needed someone to be alongside of me, to just listen to me, to tell me I'm not alone, and to to experience unconditional love in that moment. Because being stuck or being in a place that you don't want to be, it can be very easy to feel kind of that loss of love or that just needing that emotional connection. So in the beginning, and this is how I write, it's really about empathy. It's really about meeting, like I always say, if we were sitting across from Starbucks, we're we're just putting our hearts on the table and going to be real. And then it's about listening. And I teach my children this a lot. It's about listening to the emotion, but not allowing that to define who you are. And we can, you can give an example of if you, I tell my kids this and same with you, if we were going to go somewhere and you, and, uh, the third, the seven year old wanted to drive, would you give him the keys to the car? And we all are like, absolutely not. There's no way. And yet when we live, um, Without we, we live kind of a slave to our emotion or slave to the identities, to the labels that we've been given, then it's almost like letting that drive the car. I'm not good enough. I'm failing. I'll never do it. All of that. And who we are in Christ and who we are is we are more than those emotions and we are more than all of those labels. And it's really allowing ourselves to feel, but not using the feeling to define Yeah. And, you know, you talk about so many things that moms feel, you know, that sense of hopelessness, of not being seen, of, um, you know, our lives are not our own. You know, I've, I've heard women say before, well, I've wasted my life. You know, what have I accomplished? Meanwhile, there are these, you know, four amazing children standing behind her. Right, right. Uh, You know, um, but but the world, you know, society, whether it's glamour magazines or social media or movies, they've sort of glamorized this, you know, this woman's life. And meanwhile, you know, God put us on earth to have to have children, to be mothers, to to pour into others. And, you know, many, many of us that, you know, have the opportunity to do that in one way or another. And it's incredibly fulfilling, but it's incredibly exhausting. And, you know, you have this quote that says, if we're empty ourselves, we can't pour into other people. And I think so many women out there feel that on a daily basis. What do you have to say to them? 
Well, you ha- it's, it's the oxygen mask analogy that we all know. There's a reason they tell you on the plane to put it on yourself first before you put it on your kids as you have to be able to breathe and you ha- have to be able to take care of yourself before you can even give. And somehow there is this little guilt that percolates around called mom guilt that says, oh, I shouldn't do that or I should do this or I should be doing, I should be doing one more thing. And I truly, truly believe that part of my calling is to encourage moms to take care of themselves and to make sure that their heart things, their dreams, the things that they loved when they were little also matter in the middle of motherhood. Because what I've learned is when they're little, we kind of just keep them, when the kids are little, we keep them alive. You know, it's everything. You're following them around all the time. It's just nuts. And then they grow and grow and grow. And there's been so many women that tell me that when their, their kids graduate or when they're older, they have this moment where they don't know who they are anymore, where they have this deep sense of loss. And not that motherhood isn't a beautiful, defining thing, but they have this moment of freedom where they can breathe again and they just don't even know what to do. And part of my goal and my drive is that even in the middle of motherhood and the busiest time ever, that we take time to cultivate the desires of our heart to our heart too. Like my parents played for uh, piano when I was young and I the time, like 17 years of it. And my kid's favorite thing is to hear me play piano now. So, mm. you know, Rachel, how do you give yourself permission to do that when you're feeling guilty about not doing enough to serve your, you know, your kids and all the other responsibilities that you feel should take priority over your self care or even what I would even say soul care? Right. I, I look at the way the world has been. We live in a generation where there actually is this free time to take care of ourselves. Even a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, the, the whole family structure was different. And we, and there wasn't that individual, like the time that we see that we're supposed to spend with our kids like that. Um, it shifted. And I've realized that part of the permission is if I don't teach myself permission, I am basically teaching the next generation the same thing. I'm teaching my kids that it's okay to burn out, it's okay to go on full speed, it's okay to to kind of have those days where you're just overwhelmed. And I've realized that we need to be teaching the next generation that it is good to take moments of rest and it is good to do and cultivate the gifts that we're given. So that's where the permission comes in. Well, that's powerful. The, the name of the book, uh, which is just coming out, is called The Brave Art of Motherhood. I have a copy here. My wife and I are reading it. It's called Fight Fear, Gain Confidence, Find Yourself Again. And your website, again, is findingjoy.net. And, uh, you know, Rachel, you are uh, I got, uh, something just is just coming across uh, this whole time, right? You're uh, just your connection to, I think, your true self, but also just living in your passions and what I would call your calling. Um, how what what came together for you to just truly connect to what you're doing now that just gave you all this fuel in your tank? Well, it's it's relationship with with the Lord is the true thing. Um, but within that, I would say. 
over and over and over being fearless and stepping out in the space that I know I've been called. And there are times where it's, it's exhausting and it's hard. And there are truths that I learned uh, um, when I was a child that stick with me until this day. And I, I shared with you one of my favorite verses from Philippians, uh, Philippians 4.12, where mm-hmm. it says, I know how to abound and be brought low. And I love that verse because I grew up thinking, everybody can quote the second part, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I love, absolutely love the verse before it because Paul comes and he writes out of a place of being brought low and from a place of abounding. That's the presupposition in that word, that verse, that he knows both and that in both he needs Christ just as much. And that was taught to me and shown to me about 10 years ago. And I realized that I can't do anything on my own. And that's where the strength comes within. And that's that's what I cling to. Oh, that's beautiful. And, you know, this book, I think, is going to change a lot of people's lives. I can't wait to finish it. It's um, It just brings such hope. And, you know, mommy guilt's a brutal thing, and it addresses that. And it talks about staying true to yourself, even when you have all these little people in a row behind you that you have to care for. Um, and it just has so much wisdom. So thank you for for following your your gut and writing this book and putting it out there. And I love, you know, you tell people, hey, I don't have $40,000 for PR for this book. So, you know, just tell your friends. And so I want to just tell the audience, I mean, this book is life changing for for many of us. And so go out there and check it out and tell your friends to go check out the blog and um, you'll definitely be inspired. So, you know, as we enter the new school year, I know for all the moms out there, it's, you know, August, September are always just, just, you know, the crazy time, new patterns and school clothes and lunches. Um, so for all those moms out there, Rachel, that are in the middle of that, feel like they're drowning and it's one more thing and it's one more practice and it's one more uniform, you know, what's your parting words for them to, to leave them feeling hopeful and excited and energized? There's unbelievable power in showing up. It doesn't matter whether it's one more of this or one more of that. The things that really matter are those simple everyday moments. Pickup line, the little note in the lunchbox, coming in, waiting up for them for the text, um, picking them up at work. There's so much beauty and power in showing up for our kids. It's the most beautiful love. And I tell moms when they're discouraged, when they go to bed and they think, I have done nothing today, I want them to think back to every single moment when they showed up because that is absolute beauty oh that's great just show up i i say you know ditch the mommy guilt and take the store-bought cupcakes try trying to be stop trying to be a pinterest mom and just show up with your baseball cap and your orange lip gloss and just smile and wave and you know what those that's all those kids will remember um so thank you so much for being with us today rachel this was wonderful we wish you all the best in the book we want you to come back we want you to come back and say that it's been the you know amazon bestseller and that we're here to celebrate because i i believe it absolutely will be so everybody go check it out and thanks so much rachel Thank you. I had so much fun talking with you. It's been a it's been an honor. 